Well, there was a man who had a rash on his arm one day, and so he goes to his, he called his doctor to make an appointment, and he shows up at the office and uh, walks up to the window where the receptionist is, and he says, I'm here for my appointment. And without even looking up, she says, go down the hall, second door on the left, go in, take off all your clothes, and put on a little robe and wait. Now, the man says to the receptionist, um, but the rash is just on my arm. And she says in an even louder and sterner voice, go down the hall, second door on the left, take off all your clothes and wait for the doctor. And he goes, but, and she said, now. So he walks down the hall very feebly, walks in, sees another man seated there, and they kind of look at each other. He goes behind the curtain. Uh, He disrobes, puts on one of those little robes, and comes and sits down next to the other man. And the second man who walked in the room says, boy, was she having a bad day. And the first man said, tell me about it. I'm the UPS guy. (laughs) Now, as we saw last week, when we began the book of Ruth, there was a woman by the name of Naomi who was not just having a bad day, but she was having a bad decade. You recall that they were fleeing a famine in the land of Bethlehem. They'd gone to live in the foreign land of Moab. There, her husband and her two sons had died. And she was to the point where she was returning to the land of Bethlehem. And this is where we're picking up the story today in Ruth chapter 1. And as we look at Ruth 1, as Naomi is returning to Bethlehem, her two daughters-in-law, the girls who had married her sons, are coming with her. But she tells the girls, go back, stay in Moab. There's nothing but a bleak future if you go with me. And this is where the story picks up in verse 7 through 14. It says, so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said that I have hope, if if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You know, as you're reading this, it's almost like one of those tearjerker scenes in a movie, isn't it? Where you see that little boy throwing rocks at his beloved pet, trying to drive it away because he wants what is best for that, that animal that he loves. Here we see Naomi, who has nothing left in the world, is doing her best to drive the girls away. She tells them in verse 8, go, return, each of you to our mother's house. She says, look, you girls are so sweet to say that you'll go back with me, but there's nothing. There's nothing for you in Judah. What, what can I offer you? It's nothing but a bleak future. So go home. Go back to Moab. Now, she tells them to go. Notice she prays a prayer of blessing for them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. You'll notice the word Lord is in all capital letters. And every time you see that, you'll recall that that means it's the covenant name of God, his, his holy name, Yahweh, Jehovah. 
And so she says, may the Lord, the true God, not the false gods of Moab, not the gods at Kamash and Molech and Baal, the gods back in the land of Moab, but may the true God bless you, ladies. She, she says that may he show his kindness. May he show his kindness to you. That's a very significant word. If you write in your Bible, you can underline that word kindness. It's going to show up again in chapter 2, verse 20, and again in 310. It's the word chesed. Now, that kind of sounds like a cat coughing up a hairball, doesn't it? It's not a very pretty word in the way that it sounds, but it's very beautiful in its meaning. Let me take you into the the depth of what this word means so that you can understand the significance for us. Chesed, or you can say hesed, is loving kindness. It's translated as mercy, loyalty, faithfulness, commitment. You can summarize the word as loyal love. She says, may the Lord show his loyal love to you. Now, this, this word hesed, J.G. Baldwin, Baldwin says of it, it's a word which includes the warmth of God's fellowship as well as the security of his faithfulness. It has a number of, of, of unique meanings. Hesed is never a special favor. It is always the provision for an essential need. Hesed is an action that is performed for the weak party by the powerful one. Hesed is, is a word where the superior party is always free not to perform the act of hesed. The superior party is normally the sole source of assistance available to the party in need. If the powerful one does not act, the needy one will meet certain disaster. So what does all this mean for us? Well, hesed is never a special favor. It's always a provision for an essential need. As you think about it in our day, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what hesed means for us. Hesed is an action performed for the weak party by the powerful one. We're told in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The superior party is always free not to act, to perform that act of hesed. As you think about what the Bible tells us about who we are and who God is, you can define justice. Justice can be defined as getting what we deserve. And when it comes to us, what is it that we deserve? Well, as sinners, we are those who have sinned. Justice means that we owe a penalty of sin. We owe a penalty of death. But God doesn't show just his justice. He shows his mercy to us. Now, mercy can be defined as not getting what you deserve. So as we think about God showing mercy to us, universalism is, is a doctrine that says uh, God will save everybody. Nobody goes to hell in the end, that everybody gets in. Or it takes it a different direction. You can take annihilationism, which says when we die, we cease to exist. Now, if God simply showed mercy to us, what it would mean is that when we end our days here on earth, that's it. We cease to exist. But that's not who we are. We have been created in the image of God. And because of that, we are eternal. We have a a soul that will last for all eternity. You see, why it would be merciful for God just to let us cease to exist is if, if we got his justice as sinners who deserve to be separated from God for all eternity, what the scriptures tell us is that means that we go to a place of punishment called hell, eternal separation from God. And if God were merciful, he would let us just cease to exist when our life here is over. 
Because then we wouldn't be in that place of separation from God for all eternity. But the good news is God goes beyond just his mercy to show his grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. You see, God's grace gives us eternal life when we come to know the Lord of life, his son, Jesus Christ. So as we think of what God's hesed, what all this means for us, this is the the meaning of this word. Now, the superior party, that is God, is normally the sole source of assistance available to the party in need. That's you and me. We who are sinners are separated far from God. And what the scriptures tell us is there is none righteous, no, not one. There is only one hope for all of us. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all far from God. There is none righteous. If God failed to act on our behalf, we would be lost. If the powerful one God does not act, the needy will meet certain disaster. What Acts 4.12 tells us is, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Do you see the depth You see the richness, the meaning of this word. As Naomi is praying for for God's hesed, for his blessing upon these ladies, it's not a simple, may God bless you girls, good luck with life. What she's saying is, may the true God intervene. May he show to you love, love that you can't even grasp and understand fully. She prays in verse 9, may the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Now, the word rest here isn't the picture of kicking back on the couch and eating bonbons the rest of their days. The word rest speaks of the security that these girls need. The word means the care, the protection, and security that would come with a husband. Now, why did these girls need a husband? You have to remember the context of this book is in the ancient days in the Middle East where a woman had zero rights. A woman had no rights to represent herself in court. She couldn't own property. Without a husband, she was hopeless. She had nobody to advocate and care for her. And I want you to remember that the women in our story, all three of these ladies now are widows. There's not a man in the family left to take care of Naomi, Orpah, or Ruth. And so what she's praying for is the blessing of a provider and protection for them. As we go through the book of Ruth, what I want you to make note of at times are the prayers that are prayed. What we find here is this prayer of blessing. What what she's asking is, may God do this for you. As you read through Ruth, note those places wherever it says, when somebody says, may this happen, may God do this for you. Find all the requests and then wait to see how God responds. Wait to see how he comes through. And as you do that in Ruth, I want you to do that with your own life. How many of you, when you pray, keep track of your prayers? Do you journal? Do you keep a prayer journal where you're asking God uh, for requests, and then you find how those prayers have been answered? Because what happens is there are times that we, we forget to thank God. We forget so many ways that he comes through and answers in miraculous ways. Michael earlier just said, how many times do we miss the little blessings? of this season and even life. And so take note of all the things that you ask of God and how he responds. As you read Ephesians 3.20, 
It tells us, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. When it comes to Orpah, we're, we're not told how this prayer will be answered for her. And the reason for that is Orpah, as we're about to see, will turn her back. She will do what Naomi said initially, go home, go back to Moab. Go back to the gods that are there. But this isn't what we'll see with Ruth. Ruth will return with Naomi. What they'll find is that God is one who does far more abundantly than Naomi asked. Far more abundantly than either of these ladies could even imagine. As her physical needs for food and shelter will not just be met. She was saying, go home where you can find a husband. And we will find that there is a godly guy who becomes a husband to Ruth. We will find that there is... um, that there is a line that is raised up. There will be a son. A son who will be born into this family, who will not only be in the line of King David, but who will be in the line of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. As Naomi tries to chase the girls away, she says in verse 11, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? What Naomi's referring to here is, is called the law of Leverite marriage. The Leverite marriage is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verses 5 through 6. It tells us there, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out. From Israel. This is the law of Leverite marriage. And so what we're looking at here is that, that there is a family that has, has been wiped out. And what, what is God's design is that when, remember the land was allotted to various families. And so it would stay within the family line. Women can't own property, I just reminded you. And because of that, the land would be lost in, in one of these lines. So as you think about if the law of Leverite marriage were still intact in our day, what would it mean for us, men? I have three brothers, and two of them were married before I was. And I can tell you that if Leverite marriage were still in place, as they announced their engagement, I would have had a lot more to say about it. (laughs) Because there was a possibility I could be called in off the bench to become the husband to one of their choices. And so I would have had a little more to say about it. And some of the ladies here are thinking, and you know, I would have had a little more to say too. Because my husband had a brother, and I'm not sure that I would like that to be the stand-in. But this law of Leverite marriage is why Naomi is, is saying, look girls, I don't even have a husband. I don't even have a baby in the womb right now. What she says in verses 12 through 13 is, even if I were pregnant right now, would you really wait around until they were grown? In, in short, what she's saying is this situation from a human perspective is hopeless. Look, girls, there is no son. There, there is no grandson coming. There, there is nobody that you can wait for. She says, humanly speaking, it's hopeless. And as she's saying this to the girls, suddenly the reality of that hits her like a ton of bricks. And she feels the pain for herself. She feels the hopelessness of her own situation. What she says is, you know what, girls, at least you're young enough 
to have the hope of another, another husband, to maybe remarry and, and have children of your own. But me, it's over. I'm old, I'm broken, I'm penniless. There's nothing. As she contemplates how things have turned out, she, she says, the hand of God is against me. You know, she says, God, you and I, we used to be so close. It's the, the picture of a woman who was riding down the road with her husband one day. And this was one of the cars that used to have the old bench seats in the front. You remember those? The long bench seats. And so her husband's over there driving, and she's, she's sitting all the way over on the passenger side, up against the door, leaning out the window, just sighing. And, and her husband says, honey, what's, what's wrong? And, and she's all the way over here, and she looks over at her husband driving, and she says, do you remember what it used to be? How it used to be that I was, I was so close to you. We, we would cuddle up as you were driving the car to the point that you could barely even turn the wheel. And she says, now look at us. What happened? And her husband looks over at her and he says, honey, I never moved. Naomi is way over there. And she says, Lord, what happened? We used to be on the same side, but now your hand is against me. And, and what God simply says is, I never moved. Naomi, it was you and Elimelech and your family that ran from the land of Bethlehem. I had you and the rest of the nation under discipline. Remember why? Because you've sinned. There was famine in the land as a form of discipline. The oppressors were coming in, as we saw in the book of Judges, because God said, I want to drive my people back to me. I want them to repent. I want them to return home. But rather than returning to the Lord, what, what Naomi's family did is they ran from God. They said, we can't trust Jehovah to care for us anymore. We're going to go to this land where the foreign gods are, are taking care of their people because our God can't handle it. We have to take control of our own destiny because if we stay in Bethlehem, we will die. And we saw last week what happened. The husband and the two sons died. The ones who said, we can do a better job than God, have now died. Friends, if you feel like your relationship with God is not as close as it used to be, if you're wondering, why did God move? May I remind you that the only time God ever moved was when he left heaven to come to earth to go to the cross to take our place, to pay the penalty of sin that I owed and you owed, to take our place to remove what was separating us from him. God showed his hesed, his loyal love, and leaving his throne in heaven to come to earth to take on flesh and blood, to pay the penalty of sin that I owed and you owed. That's when God moved. And if you're here today and you're feeling far from God, what God says to you is, I'm right here. I'm right where I've always been. My arms are still open wide on the cross. I'm here waiting for you to return, as we talked about last week, to come back down the road to me. We see Naomi is returning to Bethlehem. She's finally returning home after more than a decade and three deaths. Friends, if you're far from God today, will you come home on your own without having to have God break you to bring you home? 
Think about a potter that's shaping a piece of clay. If you've ever watched a potter working with it on the wheel, when when things are not going the way that it needs to be, he has to rework it and they'll smash the pot and they'll start back over again. And you know when the when the pottery when the when the clay is still very viable and moldable, when it's still wet and easy to mold, it's it's a lot easier to reform the pot. When it starts to harden and they have to break it, that's a lot harder to reshape. As you look at your life today, are you still moldable? Or have you become hard? Where God will have to break you to bring you back. Verse 14 says, And they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. There was a pastor that was praying one morning. He, he had gotten up early. He went over to his study. He was kneeling down. And, and he was in prayer. He was in heartfelt prayer to God. And what, what he said is, Father, I want to be so perfectly in your will. I'll do anything you ask of me. I'll go anywhere you call, even if it means a barren, faraway country, even if it means to a deep, dark jungle. God, here am I. The wife just happened to be walking down the hall at that moment. She overheard her husband's heartfelt prayer. And she felt compelled to go in. And she, she came in beside him as he had his head bowed, his eyes closed. He didn't even know she was there. She kneeled down beside him and she placed her hand upon his back. And she was there with him. She said, Lord, if, if one of these places is where you lead him, please, Lord, be certain to give him a buddy, a pal, some good friend that will go with him. As we look at the story here, in verse 14, what we find is Orpah was not ready to take the same step. Naomi was saying, Lord, I'm returning home. I don't know what the future looks like, but I'm coming home. And Orpah, as she surveys the situation, as she thinks about what is facing her, this uncertain, bleak future, three widows, this little band that had no provision, no hope, What she says is, I will not go. I'm not ready to cross over. As she came to the border of Moab, as she was there with them, what what she was saying is, I can't can't go yet. Naomi had just prayed to Yahweh, Jehovah, the true God, the, the Jehovah, the God of Judah. You see, in that day, people believed that God's controlled geographic areas. There was Moab. And over the border of Moab is where Kamash, Molech, Baal, these pagan gods were said to be in control. Jehovah was the God of Judah and Israel and the land over there. And as she comes to the border of Moab, she's facing a decision. Do I cross over and trust this God? Or do I go back to my home, to my land, where I know the gods? And as she comes to this border, the, the, the decision she makes here is not so much about leaving the relationship with Naomi. It's about leaving the relationship, actually not ever starting the relationship with Jehovah. And what she says is, I will stay here with what I know, rather than trust in the, the true God Jehovah in, the, in a new life in Judah. And as Orpah turns back, she lives up to her name, which you recall last week, we saw means the back of her neck. And what she does is she turns away, she shows the back of her neck as she walks back into Moab. And friends, this is the last we ever see of of Orpah. 
She not only walks back into the land of Moab, but she walks off the pages of Scripture and the pages of history. Nothing more is ever heard of this woman. Now, Ruth, however, makes a different choice. She lives up to her name, which you recall means friendship. It tells us here in verse 14, but Ruth clung to Naomi. Proverbs 18.24 tells us, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This word for clinging or cleaving is the Hebrew word davak. This is a word that means more than just a physical clinging, but it includes a committed, faithful cleaving in a deep, personal relationship. It has the meaning of loyalty and an affection with the idea of a physical proximity. This is the word that you find in the book of Genesis, where it tells us to cleave to our husband or wife. It says there in Genesis 2.24, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave, devak, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In verse 15, Naomi tries again to drive Ruth away. She says, she says look, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, Naomi's not the kind of person you want on the evangelism explosion team, is it? She keeps trying to drive these girls away. She keeps saying, look, go back to the gods of Moab. As we look at what Naomi says here, it's, it's a lot like what society says to us, isn't it? What are you doing? Why, why are you turning to Jehovah? Why are you following the Messiah, Jesus? Why are you following the one that claims to be the one who's here, who came and took on flesh and blood to save you? Come on, really? Look, this life is all there is. You already know the culture. You already know the fun society offers you. Why? Why would you throw all that away to, to chase after some unknown God you can't even see? That's what society tells us, isn't it? It says, go back to Moab. Go back to the stuff you know. Go back to the security that, that you have in this world. Put it on cruise control. Head down that four-lane superhighway to happiness. If you come with me, you're facing a narrow one-lane path, is what Naomi says. Look, you already know what the road looks like. If you follow God, this is what it may look like. The world tells us if we turn to Christ, we miss out on all the fun and stuff you could have here. Friends, may I remind you that following Christ doesn't mean we have a joyless, bland existence. Jesus Christ is the one who told us in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. If you choose to follow Christ, you're not getting the short end of the stick. God saves us not just for eternity, but do you realize what else God saves us from? When we follow God, when we walk with him, what are all the things that we've been saved from? All the mistakes we would make, all the consequences that would come with those bad choices, running down the wrong road. God saves us, not just from eternity, not just for eternity, but from all the mistakes we would make. And when it comes to Ruth, I've already given you a peek at her future. There will be provision. There will be a son. There will be a husband but remember, at this point, she's being asked to step out in faith. There is an unknown future, but at least she says, I know the God that I'm trusting in. If you want to peek at your future, read the Bible. Look at what the Bible tells us comes with those of us who choose Christ. Those of us who choose to walk down that road. There will be times of trial and tribulation in your life. 
The Bible doesn't promise us when we come to Christ, it's smooth sailing, no trouble. In fact, Jesus says there will be times of trial and tribulation. But I promise you this, I will walk with you through those difficult times. God does not abandon us. He is with us in our greatest times of need. He walks with us through this. Last night at 10 o'clock, I was, I was in the ICU room with the Gallard family. Many of you know Jerry and Betty. And Betty's heart stopped yesterday, and she's on a ventilator. And her family is flying in right now, and they're making a decision this afternoon as to what that will look like. And as I was there at 10 p.m. last night reading Scripture to her, reading Psalm 23, I reminded the family that it says Jesus walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't leave us there. And it's only the shadow that strikes us. It's like an 18-wheeler flying by at an intersection. And your car rumbles and, and it shakes and that shadow falls across you, but it doesn't really hit you. And that's what death does to us. It doesn't take our life. It takes us to the place where our new life begins. And that's what Jesus offers to us. Not just what we face in this world, but what is coming. We have an unknown future in the eyes of the world, but we have a known God who knows the future. And friends, have you trusted in him? Is that where your faith is? Ruth comes to a fork in the road and she has to make a choice. Will she return to Moab? Will she go back? To a land that she doesn't, that, that, that she already knows the culture and the people? Or will she go to Judah, a place she's not been, to a God named Jehovah? Yogi Berra once said of decisions like this one when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And that's what the world tells us, isn't it? You can have your cake and eat it too. But the decisions that we face in life are more like Robert Frost's poem. Robert Frost wrote a poem where it was titled The Road Not Taken. And as he's talking about being a traveler who comes to a fork in the road, being but one man, he knows he has to choose a road. He can't travel them both. And he ends by saying, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the road less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Friends, all of us here are called to make a choice. There are two roads that stand before each and every one of us. And the choice for you today is which road will you take? Is it the broad superhighway of the world, the culture, the things that you know, the security the world says it can give you? Or will you take the narrow path? Will you take that, that narrow road of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says the narrow gate that leads to life? Have you chosen the right road by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus told us in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We see in verse 16 that Ruth chooses the road less traveled. She chooses the narrow way that leads to the Lord. It tells us in verse 16, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Many of you have heard of Dr. David Livingston. He's the famous missionary to Africa, or was. 
And as Dr. Livingston was pioneering his work there, there was a mission society that wrote to him. And they said, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. A period of time passed and Livingston uh, received the message and he wrote this reply back. If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. As Ruth turns to God, what she says is, you know what? I don't fully know what this road looks like. But I know the God that this road leads to. The the true God, Jehovah. The true God, Yahweh. The one who will show his hesed. His loyal love. Notice she uses the word Lord in all capital letters. Ruth is now using the name Yahweh. She's making it clear. This isn't a a choice among a pantheon of gods. She says, I'm not believing in the gods of Moab. I've put everything in. I'm all in. I'm crossing the border. I'm going with you back to Judah. I believe in Yahweh. She even makes an oath. She says, may Yahweh take my life if I let anything but death separate us. The Hebrew can be translated here is, if I let even death. Separate us. You see, this isn't a short-term commitment. She's not saying, I'm going to try it, and if God isn't coming through the way that I want, well, then I'm turning my back and I'm coming back to Moab. What she says is, when I cross this border, there is no turning back. Naomi, I'm not just going with you. I'm going to your God, who will become my God. I'm, I'm crossing the border, and Naomi, I'm never turning back. I will never come back to Moab and its false gods. And what she says is, uh, even if you die, in fact, you're older than me, you're going to die before me. Chances are greatest that I'm, you're going to die before me. I will outlive you. And she says, where you are buried, I will be buried. Let me show you what this looks like. You see, from the world's perspective, this was a hopeless future on earth. And yet she says, I'm still following Yahweh, no matter what that road says. What she was saying is, I am going to follow God. It wasn't the world's view of a flower. Have you ever played that game? You pick a daisy and you go, she loves me, she loves me not. And you go through and you kind of look ahead and you notice that flower isn't going to come through the way you want it. So what do you do? Pick a new one, right? That's not what, what Ruth is doing here. She's not playing the game of saying, I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out. And, and if God doesn't come through for me, then I'm going to give in. She says, where you die and where you're buried, I'll be buried. What you're looking at here is a tomb in Israel. Now, this actually used to have a cave roof over it. You see that opening at the top? That's where you would walk in. It was like a big crypt. And so you would come in, and those little round circles that you see there, those are head places. You know, tombs in that day were not like ours. It wasn't a, a one-fit, uh, a one-use grave. What they would do is families had tombs. And they would bury their relatives in these tombs. You would, you would wrap the bodies up. You would put them in there. You remember the resurrection as Jesus was raised from the dead and the grave clothes were still there, but the body was gone. So they would wrap them. And the body over time would decompose. And what they would do is... If you look on that long end, that's the father's place on the right, the patriarch's place, and the matriarch is there. That's the family. And you'll notice on the left side where all the bodies are, there's a hole in the ground there, in the the base of the platform. And as you read the Old Testament, when it says so-and-so was gathered to their fathers, it was literal. 
Because what would happen is, is the body would decompose and all that was left were the bones. They would gather these together and they would put them in there, in an ossuary, in a bone box that was underneath. And so you were literally gathered to your fathers for generations. And what Ruth is telling Naomi is where you are buried, I will be buried. See, you're going to die, Naomi, one day. And I'm going to stay here in the land, even when you're gone. Because Jehovah is now my God. This is, this is where I belong. And I will be buried where you're going to be buried. Her, her commitment was not like many of ours, where we play that game with God. As you look at this flower today, is this you? Do, do we say to God, you know what? I love you. I love you not. Do we say to God, when you're coming through with me, I love you and I'll walk with you. But God, when you're not coming through, I'm not with you. Or do we have a commitment like Ruth? Do do we say to God, no matter what happens, I've crossed over the line. God, I understand what your hesed. Your loyal love means to me that you will never leave me or forsake me. You will never abandon me. You are here through the good and the bad. And God, I can trust you not just for today, but for tomorrow and for all eternity. Friends, is that your commitment to God today? God calls on us to make a choice today. There are two roads before us. Have you ever chosen the road that leads to life? Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Friends, if you've never stepped out in faith on that cross that was laid across the chasm of sin that separated us from God, providing that way home, today I invite you to do so. To come to Christ and to say, God, I am a sinner. I have a need that nobody but you can meet. And I thank you, God, that you met that need by sending your son, Jesus, to take my place to pay that penalty of death. Today, God, I'm coming home. Friends, if you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you to do so today. I'll be at the front. There will be prayer leaders at the front. You can come forward and talk to us after the service, and we'd love to tell you how to begin your new walk with Jesus. You can do it right where you're sitting right now if you want. You just say to God, God, I've been depending upon myself, but today I'm depending upon you, your son Jesus, the one who died for me. Jesus, I accept your death in my place to pay a penalty of sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you will take that step of faith, you will be made a part of the family. Today, make Jehovah, the true God, your God. And for the rest of us who have taken that step before, may we be those who walk with God. Don't be like Naomi that has to go through a decade and deaths and suffering to have all those bonds to be burned away that are holding you to the world. Come home today on your own. God is waiting for you. What choice will you make today? The choice is yours. There are two roads before you. Which will you choose? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you sent your son, that you, Jesus, came to take my place and the place of everyone here today, every man and woman, every boy and girl, that you showed your great loyal love, your hesed for us. And Lord, we are called to make a choice. We're called to make a choice like Joshua offered to the people as they were about to enter into the land. As he said in Joshua 24, 15, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord God, I pray today that as individuals, as families, and as a church, that we would make the choice, that we would say, as Ruth did, I'm crossing the border, I'm coming home, I'm following the true God, that today, Lord, the choice we are making, as for me and my house, is to serve the Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.